Greetings, Greenhouse people. We're back at it with another episode of Tech on Demand, brought to you by the fine folks at Grower Talks Magazine. If you don't receive Grower Talks and Green Profit every month, head over to growertalks.com and subscribe. The magazine has been a pillar of the industry for more than 75 years, and it's about time you join the club. And speaking of subscribing, be sure to subscribe to the Tech on Demand podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and I'm real excited to announce that we're now on Odyssey. Once you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and this is part two in a three-part mini-series called The Dynamics of Growing Media. Hopefully you listened to part one. If not, jump back in the archives and get caught up. The plan for the series is to take you through the importance of testing, sampling, and analysis so you're set up to grow the best crops possible. I'm joined by Troy Beagle from Premier Tech, the company behind Promix. And as I mentioned last time, Troy is an exceptional technical expert with lots of hands-on experience in the field. Basically, he's pretty much seen it all when it comes to greenhouse problems and solutions. By the end of this series, you'll have a lot more knowledge about why and how to sample media, water, and plant tissue in order to get ahead of greenhouse problems and assess and analyze issues if and when they occur. This episode, second one in the series, is all about sampling. Because if you get this wrong, your results aren't worth much and your problems will continue. It's really all about consistency. But before we get started, a little bit about Troy. Troy Beekel has a master's and bachelor's in horticulture and has been a horticulture specialist with Premier Tech Grower Services since 1995. Based in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, he covers the Mid-Atlantic and Eastern Midwest and is committed to offering growers alternatives, new ideas, support, and solutions that suit their ever-evolving requirements and needs. He specialized in flowering plants, more precisely plant nutrition and water quality. You're going to be amazed at his level of knowledge and experience. He's made dozens of videos throughout the years presenting the specificities and advantages of growing media products and provides tools to solve different growing problems. And that's what he's here to do today in part two of the Dynamics of Growing Media. Let's dive in. Troy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be here again. So last episode, uh, we discussed, well, in our three-part series of the Dynamics of Growing Media, we discussed the importance of testing and Troy walked you through the reasons behind testing your media and the importance of testing versus making assumptions and also spent a lot of time discussing what factors to test for from EC to pH to media and even uh, plant tissue. But in this episode, we want to dive deeper into the process to help you understand how you can get the best and most actionable results. So we're going to talk a lot about sampling this time. So I guess sort of like we did last time, Troy, do you want to talk a little bit about why sampling is such an important topic? Yeah, sampling is uh, is important because, well, let, let's just put it this way, junk in, junk out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, over the years, I've seen people will take, uh, let's say, for instance, they got a yellowing problem, their petunia, 
And they'll just start grabbing plants randomly. They'll grab stuff from a hanging basket. They'll grab samples from pots and they'll mix it all together and, and send it in. And because everything's on a different feeding schedule, a different watering schedule, it just creates, you know, a, a really, really kind of muddy picture. So what I want to do is kind of clarify what is ideal. So for instance, when we're sampling, keep in mind a couple of things. Uh, consistency is important. So as an example, whether you're sampling media or tissue, you want to look at trying to select, first of all, pick one plant type and try to stick with the exact same cultivar. Uh, and with that, it's ideal if you're doing it from the same container size. So if it's all four-inch crops, stick with four-inch, or it's all 12-inch hanging baskets, stick with that. Um, preferably same planting date, because again, fertilizer and water inputs would be the same. Uh, I've mentioned the same cultivar. And also, sometimes there can be differences that can occur from one greenhouse to another. So if you have multiple quonsets, you might want to get the, the samples all from one quonset. So that, that's important. Uh, the other thing is if you are looking at a section of plants where some are normal, and then there's some that are not so good next to it. Try to collect median tissue from both the normal plants and abnormal plants, because what that'll do is that'll help somebody who's looking at the results figure out very quickly why the differences are occurring, or I should say what the difference is, and figure out how we can solve the problem. Um, and again, the procedures we're going to talk about should be used not only for laboratory testing, but also in-house testing. And if you do send stuff to a lab, Ideally, you want to try to send as quickly as possible. Uh, we'll go over how to sample that in a moment. So. Okay, I think those those that really does help set the stage. You want to be consistent, um, whether that's the size, the the greenhouse you're sampling out of, um, plant date. I think that's a, a really really good point. That was something I hadn't thought about. And then um, the comparison, you know, of of healthy plants versus plants that are showing some sort of a uh, sign that that you want to investigate um, letting uh, either when you sample them and test them to in house is looking at the differences or if you send them out that uh, I think that that does clarify the importance of proper sampling and I know we're going to dig a little bit deeper into that because really nobody you know no one wants to waste time with poor samples that return mm -hmm. poor results that's kind of defeats the purpose and you might be too far along in the crop at that point to to solve the problem so. Can you spend a little bit of time detailing this process, like exactly what you mean by sampling or exactly, you know, what, what our listeners need to think about when they're taking samples um, so that they can generate really the, the best samples to get the best information returned? Yeah, Bill. Um, and one, one other thing I'll mention that I, I didn't mention before, you talk about when I mentioned if you have a problem, that if you can sample normal and abnormal plants, Make sure again they're the same cultivar, because a red petunia and a white petunia can have very different <laughs> nutrient analysis based on what's going on. But going specifically into the type of, of sampling, so we're going to kind of go into the nuts and bolts of it. I'm going to concentrate on four areas. First, I'm going to talk about the growing media, how to do it, then the tissue, then the water, and then last would be the fertilizer solution, and that would kind of wrap it up for for me. So first, let's talk about the growing media. So why should you test? Now, we did a lot of this in the first uh, part. Again, we want to find out what the pH of the growing media is, the EC, which is the electrical conductivity. And certainly, most important is looking at individual nutrient levels. 
one thing about growing media is it tells you what the plan has available right now. So it, it gives you kind of that shot in time that's kind of instantaneous to right now. Now, taking samples, this is often painful when I have to tell people how to do this, but we're going to go into it. So for in-use testing, uh, this is when you're taking media from crops that are already in production. If we're talking about uh, seedling trays, you have to sacrifice a half a tray just to collect enough media and tissue for that purpose. So basically, if you're doing that, you want to cut off you know, the, the, the top of the plant and take the growing media and stick that into a plastic bag. For cell packs, what you're looking at is taking the whole cell, but cutting off the top half inch of the media because what happens is this water evaporates from the media, the salts concentrate on top and don't necessarily give an accurate picture of where the roots are. If you're looking at pot of crops or hanging baskets, best thing would be to, to tip the plant upside down, pull a pot off, and then scratch the, the media outside surface of that root ball, starting at a half inch below the top, again, because the salt's concentrated there, and go to the bottom. And you want to sample somewhere around uh, two cups of media is what your goal is. So from about six to 10 plants, if you're talking about pot of crops, and then you'll take all that growing media, put it inside a plastic Ziploc bag and maybe mix it around a little bit. And uh, pretty much um, that would take uh, take care of it. So again, half a plug tray, cell packs, again, however many you need to make up at two cups, you might be looking at maybe four, three or four packs. Remember, avoid the top half inch of the media, pots and baskets, just the outer, outer uh, growing media part again, you know, you know, avoiding that top half inch. Uh, one, one little story I think it's probably worth saying. Uh, I, I've actually had customers send in media samples in paper bags. And the problem is growing media is wet. And when you put it in a paper bag, it may all look good. But by the time it gets there, the bag disintegrates. So the media is already inside the box. That's probably not a good thing. Um, one thing I will say is with growing media, when you do testing, uh, there's a lot of great horticultural labs out there. I don't want to mention any by name, but certainly we know what they are. One I would probably try to avoid is agricultural testing labs because they use different solutions to pull the nutrients off the, the cation exchange sites. Uh, what that means in the growing media world is it will actually digest and break apart the peat moss, the core, uh, the wood fiber, the bark, and, and all of a sudden you get these results back and Normally, let's say, for instance, iron, you want to be maybe one, two, three parts per million, comes back at 500 parts per million. And people look at that because I've actually had this happen numerous times. They'll say, well, I got that. I got 3,000 parts per million calcium in there, which normally should be about 100. And all it is is the, the type of digestion they use in agricultural labs to get that from the exchange sites are actually breaking apart the entire organic matter, which is basically what the mix is. So. Again, use a horticulture lab. The second component would be the tissue testing. Uh, again, why should you test? We talked about this in part one, but again, you want to look at the nutrient levels in the tissue. Obviously, pH and C have no, there's no bearing in tissue testing, just purely nutrients. The nice thing about testing the tissue is that tissue that you're testing was formed uh, over time. So you're looking at about going back in history about two weeks. So if you take media, it tells you what your nutrient levels are today. If you take tissue, it kind of gives you a historical perspective of what was going on two weeks ago. So that's kind of a nice little shot in time. 
So specifically taking the tissue, how do you do it? Well, if there's any residues on the leaves, you might want to rinse it with clear water first before you start taking the samples and make sure the leaves are, are dry. Uh, again, you want to get, if there's any growing media or pesticide residues or maybe some lime residues, if you use a liquid lime, get those off. We want to select recently matured leaves. So what that looks like, if you look at the top of the plant, as new leaves come out, they're obviously small and they get bigger. Once that leaf reaches the mature size, those are the leaves you want to target. And you may take maybe two or three leaves per plant. Just go through and sample enough of plants. And then um, uh, you use those for testing. Now, let's go back to those little seedlings, those poor little guys. <laughs> to, to do that wouldn't make a lot of sense. So what I usually recommend is, is when you take that half tray, just cut the tops of the plants off and stick those in the bag for testing. So the whole plant from top to bottom because it would just take too long to do individual leaves. If we look at plants that have smaller leaves, like let's say petunias are impatient, you're gonna need about 25 leaves that you need to sample of, of those. Calibrico, you might need about 50, just rough numbers. Uh, plants with larger leaves, like your geraniums and your New Guinea impatients, maybe you're looking about 25 to 30 leaves from those. And so you would take those leaves and you put them inside of a paper bag. Now, I hear a lot of confusion about this. When the lab receives the tissue, what they do is they dry it. So when you're sending it through the mail, if it's in a paper bag and it starts to dry out, that's a good thing. That's our goal. We want it to be dry. Uh, I've seen people put samples in plastic bags and, well, by the time it gets to the lab, it's mush. So it's not usable sometimes. Uh, when you do sample leaves, do not pick leaves that are diseased. Or have mechanical damage because I could throw off the numbers a little bit. Uh, also, if it's covered in aphids, we might want to <laughs> might want to avoid those leaves too, if possible. And uh, best thing to do would be to send overnight. Although, again, if you sample it and you can start allowing it to dry out, again, that's kind of your goal. Uh, I would always say look at the weather report. Let's say you're you're sampling today, for instance, and you're, you're most of the labs are south, so you're sending it south. But let's say tonight the temperatures going to go down 25 degrees. You might not want that sitting in the back of a post office truck overnight at 25 degrees because it will freeze the tissue. So, all right, well, I'll sample today, let the tissue dry a little bit, and then maybe mail it out tomorrow when the overnight lows will be in the mid-30s, for instance. That's, that's an interesting uh, uh suggestion and i think it's probably one that, that folks don't always think about um and then remember for uh for media test uh you want a ziploc and for yep. uh plant tissue tests you want a paper bag i think and i was gonna ask how do you need to do both i mean is, is it make sense to to do both uh tissue test and that in use media test um can you do one or the other or what's What's the, the best idea or the best suggestion? Yeah. Well, what it comes down to is a, a lot of people default to just doing the in-use media tests, and that gives us information. But it it may, again, if, if some inputs were subjected uh, to the media and there was a problem, so let's say you did something to correct the problem, the media comes back, everything looks great, but yet the crop looks sick. Uh, it might not give you a good indication of what's going on. Uh, with the tissue, it just gives you more complete information to figure out what's going on. 
and, and I think it's good to do both. I know a lot of people just do the media, but uh, I know when we are facing a situation where a customer has a real challenge, we'll do both because we really want to know. Um, and oh, one, one other thing I want to mention, because I've had this happen many times uh, from what labs have told me, it's best for the grower to separate the tissue from the media. Do not just send in whole plants to the lab and then let them do the processing of it. The problem is by the time it gets there, with all the moisture that's in the media, it media on the tissue, then they got to wash the tissue. Uh, a lot of times they'll put in a plastic bag and the, the tissue already start getting botrytis or some other secondary infection. Uh, now, it's just better separate the tissue, do the right testing at the, at the grower's location, sample separately, and then send them in. Okay. And and it was as soon as you said that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's a recipe for disease just in, in the bag. Um, yeah. No, that, that's really good advice. And I think you've shared uh, definitely some some things to watch out for and, and sampling uh, practices to avoid. How about any more? Do you have any more uh, suggestions for what not to do when you're sampling? Well, uh, again, anytime you sample, uh, again, it should all be from the same crop, of course, as we mentioned earlier. But going back to the tissue, again, drier is better. So it's it's okay to let those leaves dry out. Again, I, I've seen situations where even even in a paper bag, if you have wet, let's say you just watered your crop with clear water and you start pulling the leaves and the leaves have drops of water on them, you put them in a paper bag, between the paper bag kind of disintegrating a little bit and all these layers of leaves wet, that can also trigger some rot. So it's good not to, not to put wet tissue in there. If anything, just take a, a paper towel and just lay the leaves on there and just blot one on top and one on bottom to absorb the extra water. Any other, uh, any other problems you see when folks uh, send in samples or you think we've covered them? I think we covered most of it. I mean, okay. as an example with media, if, if you put in a plastic bag, chances are there's, there's usually not too much difficulty that's going to occur. Uh, I like the Ziploc bags. I've We've seen... You know, boxes get footballed around sometimes when they're being loaded onto a truck and onto a plane. So the more sturdy the packaging is, because media, once that breaks open, it's all over the inside of the box. It's not good. Tissue's not as critical because it doesn't contaminate. But then again, you don't want your samples getting mixed either. So, yeah. Right. Which leads me into the last two, the water and fertilizer. Well, here, these are a little different. but <laughs> So... Let me just kind of go a little bit into the water. So why test your water? Again, going back to part one, uh, water directly influences the pH of growing media, not because of the pH, but because of the alkalinity. Uh, you want to know what are your what nutrients the water is providing? Because again, if you're if the water's coming with let's say calcium or magnesium and sulfur, then you don't have to add it. Uh, it may also provide nasty things, extra sodium, extra chloride. Uh, once you start getting above 50 parts per million on each one of those, you're starting, um, you know, you have to do more leaching, get above 100, definitely have to do leaching, get above 200. You're going to need a lot of praying because <laughs> it's going to be that crop. And also like micronutrients, sometimes boron can be high. Once you start getting above a half part per million, it's uh, it's going to create some challenges. That's why companies produce boron-free fertilizers uh, specifically for that reason. Um when taking a water sample, it's not that hard to do. Um, we generally find that we don't want to take water 
that's stagnant. So as an example, let's say you were watering the previous day and you decide, oh, okay, it's morning. Let me, first thing I want to get that water test taken. Great, but just don't take the water that's been sitting in the hose overnight, you know, drain the system, maybe do a little watering first and then take the water sample once you get the fresh water through the line. Uh, size, four ounces is minimum. Some labs like to have six or eight, depending on their, their requirements. You want to fill the bottle all the way to the top so there's no air space. Uh, can you use like a drinking bottle? Let's say you got, I don't know, one of those 16.9 ounce bottles. Sure you can. Just rinse it out ahead of time and fill it up to the top, and that, that should work well. Uh, one question I get asked a lot is why inject acid? Should I have the acid in the water or not in the water sample? And my feeling is I prefer, I personally prefer it to be in there because then that can really tell us if it's a good match for your fertilizer. And also it tells us what's coming with that. So you're putting sulfuric acid in your water, obviously you're adding sulfur, which is good, but you can overdo it too which is one of the reasons why phosphoric acid's not the best because uh, you could be applying 100 parts per million phosphorus and, and your plants are stretching like crazy. And yeah, it's not a, not a good scenario. Watering, water testing frequency. Again, I mentioned in the first one about twice a year, you know, early spring crops, you know, before you start that, you know, do that early. And it may be one time in the late spring into the summer. And last one is the fertilizer solution. Very similar to the water test. Um, again, why do you want to test your fertilizer solution to make sure your fertilizer injector is putting out what it's supposed to be? Again, keep in mind that if you're testing water out the end of the hose and the nutrient levels are not correct, let's say you're feeding at 250, but you want to be, or you think you're feeding at 250, but it's coming back at 100, then you got to ask yourself, does my injector need some maintenance? Uh, the great equipment, but sometimes they need that. Or did I just mix the solution up wrong, the concentrate? Did I, was I supposed to add two bags and I forgot and I had only one? Uh, so those are things. Just like with the water, when you sample the fertilized solution, allow the system to run about two minutes, make sure you get to brand new solution. Um, sample it again out of the end of the hose. Sample size, four ounces or more. You wanna fill almost all the way to the top. Maybe leave like a little half inch of head space on top. It's not critically important, but it's, it's good. Again, bottom line is you're sending in, you figure out, make sure everything is, is good. Uh, I don't, you know, our company, you know, when we use independent labs, we haven't tested fertilizer solution too often, but generally speaking, I don't find that the fertilizer, I mean, our, the companies out there that manufacture pre-made water-soluble fertilizers do a great job. Uh, usually what we're looking at is making sure the right is what the customer is hoping they're putting on. Okay. What's, uh, what, just ballpark, what percentage of uh, fertilizer solution issues are injector versus like incorrect mix? Well, that's a good question. Um, I would say it's probably, you know, with the injector, again, injectors are great tools, but just like with, with, with the pH meters we were talking about in the first section, uh, you do have to do maintenance. And if you don't do it, things break down. It's like doing oil change in a car. Well, fertilizer injectors are the same. You got to replace the O-rings. You have to do the required maintenance. So I would say a lot of times the injector's not putting out what it's supposed to be. Again, not because it's not working properly, but just because of lack of maintenance. But yeah, I'm, fertilizer, I can't tell you the number of times I've had customers tell me, 
I forgot I was, I normally had three, three bags in my hundred gallon tank. And I can't remember if I added two or three or, or sometimes someone gets distracted. They added the three, they come back and they put in two more because they thought they only added one. So it goes either way. Well, I know anytime we, uh, we write articles about, uh, getting ready for spring season, we always talk about maintenance of your injector and, uh, and when it comes to putting in two bags instead of three, it's a busy time of year. So um, <laughs> I'm sure that that happens more than more than I even know. Um, now, this is just great information so much, I think, to consider. But when you, you break it down very logically, and I think that um, when, when the listeners go to take some of these steps and sampling it, they're going to be able to go step by step and, and really have some get some good results. So what have we missed? Have we missed anything when it comes to uh, ensuring that samples are usable and can return quick results? Anything that, that you want to cover before we wrap up part two? Yeah, I, I think, Bill, overall, uh, I do believe we covered everything. But again, consistency is important, making sure you're using the same cultivar, same pot size, same planting date. If you have normal and abnormal plants, try to maintain that through there. Media in a plastic bag, tissue in a paper bag, obviously water in bottles. That, that's kind of obvious. Um, but again, you, your goal is to, again, try to get the best samples you can. Make sure the leaves aren't diseased or insect-ridden or beat up. Uh, and again, first fully mature leaves are ideal, which would be the, the, the newest leaves that are of normal mature size. So, okay. And then a question that just popped in my head, thinking about a greenhouse operation, should you, like, do you see more greenhouses that have like one person trained to do the, the sampling? Um, or is it something that, that they train across the, the different production teams? Um, what, what do you see most often? Or is that, or do you even notice? Yeah, so it depends on the size of the operation. Uh, a larger operation will have usually a a person or two or three, depending on their size, that are committed to just doing the uh, maintenance testing. Uh, they'll also do the pathology. They'll do the, the scouting for pathology and insects. Um, they'll, they'll just kind of have be the eyes to see what's going on, and they will send in the in tissue samples and water just for testing. For a smaller operation, it's kind of up to the grower who's already got a million things to do, and they're like, oh, not something else. <laughs> but Again, testing is just such a, a great way to figure out where you're at. And yes, it, it may be time up front, but it could save you some headaches in the back end, which will take a lot more time. And there is one thing I did forget to mention. Now I didn't mention the unused media. I'm talking about the media. So again, unused media would be the same thing. Take it from the bag. A lot of companies, including ourselves, if there's a lot number on that, include that with the sample, especially if there's a concern. Uh, two cups. Put it in a Ziploc bag and off you go to a lab. So always make sure you note that lot number because that'll help uh, your media company go back to to, yeah. to see where it came from. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I think I think that's good. And it, it just you know talking about the the person and the organization responsible for this, it seems like something that would be good to at least expose newer team members to how this is done because, or at least interpreting the results. Um, because I would think there's a lot of learning that can, that can come out of that, you know, seeing where problems originate and, you know, where, you know, where, 
how the solutions are are developed. So that's good. So I guess before we before we wrap up this part, um, maybe look ahead just uh, just quickly to the third part um, where we're going to talk about analysis and maybe just a quick general point about how uh, uh, media analysis can be used to solve a problem. Um, just something to, uh, to tease our next topic a little bit, because I think it really brings it all home and kind of puts a bow on this whole discussion when it comes to you know, the results and, how, and what kind of uh, solutions can, can be found. Yeah, it, it's really, um, you know, my goal is in the part three is actually go over some of the common um, results and kind of what you're looking at. It is, it takes time and experience to figure out how to read these things. It's always good to have somebody that can partner with you. That's why when you use a lab, you've got some great resources there, people you can talk to. That's the advantage of using independent lab versus doing it yourself. If you're not sure what these numbers mean, you know, talk to somebody. Uh, you know, media companies have people, fertilizer companies have people as well. Uh, but I'm going to try my best to dive into the, the depths of the water to talk a little bit about how do you interpret these numbers, what to look at, what some of these numbers might even mean or indicate. So that's the big job, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> You're, you're you're doing an amazing job so far, so I'm I'm really looking forward to that discussion. But this has been great. Uh, I think that everyone listening has probably learned, you know, something about sampling that they, that they didn't know uh, prior to to hearing you go through the ins and outs, and um, hopefully, you know, more more than one thing. And and really, the the quality of your sample is going to really directly impact the quality of the results. Like you said, you know, junk in, junk out. You know, really want to work hard to make sure the samples are 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 what what the the lab or what you know your in-house testing can can work from. So, uh, if someone wants to reach out with any questions or to to work with Premier Tech on any on anything we've discussed or to continue the conversation, where where would you direct them? Well, we have a number of sources. Uh, first of all, our website pthorticulture.com is a great great force. We have videos on there. We have articles that go into testing and many other topics. We also do have our social media sites, our Facebook site, Twitter, LinkedIn. And we also have a YouTube channel where we actually have videos uh, talking about various concepts. I don't think we have anything on testing there, but uh, maybe a few things talking about basic testing. Uh, but yeah, lots of good, good information, good educational information for Awesome. And I will link to all of those uh, resources in the show notes. I know that it's one of my go-tos when I'm looking for good cultural and technical information to share with uh, Tech On Demand readers and listeners. And uh, really appreciate all the work that you and your team do and for your time today. Thanks a lot, Troy. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate your time as well. And as a reminder, Troy and I will be back in a couple of weeks to address the final piece in the puzzle, the dynamics of Growing media analysis, and this is analysis and action. Uh, it kind of uh, wrap, wraps it all up with, uh, with some marching orders. So, uh, and I encourage you to go back and listen to our to our first episode, which was all about testing. I'm Bill Calkins with Tech on Demand, brought to you by Grower Talks, and on behalf of Troy and the entire team at Premier Tech, have a fantastic season. <music>